Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, world-renowned ophthalmologist Dr. Ming Wang on his faith and on the film being made about his life's work. Made me realize that life is not just about science. It's about science and faith. You know, it's like a coin. Science and faith is on the either side of that life coin, so to speak. Science is about what things are. Faith is about why things are. Science gives us the tools, but faith in Jesus Christ, what I realized in my life, is giving me a sense of purpose. Patrick Herman talks with Dr. Ming Wang next. A new movie is coming out highlighting the life and the career of Chinese immigrant to the United States, Dr. Ming Wang, who joins us today on His People. Dr. Wang, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Now, Dr. Wang, there's so much to your story, like becoming a Christian or the astronomical odds against you being selected from the Chinese government to even enter college there, and then the higher odds of making it into MIT and Harvard, not to mention all the strides you were able to make in the field of vision. But let's start there with your accomplishments in the field of vision, and then we'll get to your backstory. So if you don't mind, let's let's begin there. Yes, I've been very fortunate to be able to receive some of the best educations that the ophthalmology field has to offer. And um, because technology and science are so fast developing, Patrick, where it used to be the doctors just have to know medicine, but today, increasingly, they have to also know the technology, the high tech, because medicine today is the combination of high, uh, medicine and high tech. And the most of the doctors have gone to medical school. If you're strong in lasers and technology and physics, you end up going to physics graduate school, get a PhD there. Uh, so that's a two separate pathways, two separate doctor degrees. When I decided to become an eye surgeon, I said, you know, I need to be one who master on both sides, not just medicine, but also master the laser physics. So I got my second doctor degree in this time in laser physics. When I perform laser eye surgery, it's like a laser physicist uh, who know, also knows medicine perform your eye surgery as such. So I've done about 55,000 laser vision procedures now, including on over 4,000 doctors. That's kind of the proof in the pudding right there, where the doctors are saying, yes, we want you to do the, the surgery on us. So you use the laser technology, but there was also something about the amniotic lens, is what you call it, yes. amniotic lens fluid? Yes, amniotic membrane contact lens. That's a research that I've been doing for many, many years because I wanted to help people who, after injury, restore their eyesight. Uh, as human being, when we got injured, we tend to scar. If you cut your skin, there's a scar. But if you injure your eye in the middle of your eyeball, that's a scar also. But that scar will blind you. But there's no way to prevent scar formation after injury, except we understood that in the fetus, unborn child, they can actually heal. If a fetus can actually heal without scarring. And so for the longest time, we wanted to uh, conduct research to understand how the unborn child can heal without scar. Therefore, we can find the secret and then benefit our, you know, adult patients who have the injury and their scarring is what's blind them. But people say, you know, the only way to do research on fetus, unborn child, is 
you know, you have to uh, the, the, the affect the life. And as a Christian and a scientist, but as a Christian, I don't want to hurt life because life is sacred. So we got stuck. Uh, we could not conduct research uh, on the uh, unborn child fetal tissue. But at the same time, I do want to help adult patients after injury to prevent the scar formation to restore the eyesight. Well, let's go back a little bit because I think our listeners are probably thinking, all right, you're doing uh, surgery on children? Uh, no, you're doing surgery on people that have some kind of problem with their eyes using fetal tissue. And that was the huge debate some years ago where right. you don't want to, of course, benefit off of the death or the abortion uh, yeah. industry. And you were saying, no, that couldn't happen. But but you found a way around and still were able to use not fetal tissue, but but fetal some... Fetal-like. Yeah, fetal-like. Fetal -like. Well, tell, yeah. Us, tell us how that happened. Yeah. So I got stuck like lots of other Christians and the scientists that we want to understand the fetal scarless wound healing, but we at the same time want to protect life, you know, but we still do want to help adult patients after injury to prevent their scar formation in the eye so that we can preserve sight. So I pers persisted for many years working with our other scientists. Eventually, we realized that instead of using fetal tissue, we can use the fetal-like tissue, which is like the placenta, the amnia, the sac, the surrounding a unborn child in mother's womb. Then when the ch child is uh, born, the sap collapsed and uh, with the placenta and then it's discarded. So then the idea was maybe the unborn child could heal without scar in mother's womb. The secret resides in the membrane, the sac that surrounds the unborn child. So that's where um, I we started doing research. Uh, I asked mothers of giving birth to children uh, that they donate to our laboratory the placenta sure. because it is going to be discarded anyway the the sac that the baby comes out from and we start doing experiment eventually invented the amniotic sac amniotic membrane contact lens then we when we put these uh, uh fetal like amniotic membrane contact lens onto an adult injured eyes yeah we find that instead of seeing an eye that form a scar and become blind, we see an eye without scar and preserve eyesight. You are calling yeah. it the magical scarless healing properties, and that's there in fetal tissue, but it's also yeah. in the placenta that people were, the doctors were just throwing them away after the baby yeah. is born. Yeah. And so you're it's, able to use it. it. It's in the tissue that around the fetus, but it's not part of the fetus. Yeah. And that's why, that's what conferred the scarless ability to a fetus. And that was the hypothesis, and we proved that to be right. So I obtained the world's first two patents on amniotic membrane contact lens. Wow. And today, amniotic membrane contact lens has been used by tens of thousands of eye doctors throughout the world in nearly every nation and millions of patients have their eyesight restored because of this technology but to me it just as and perhaps more exciting than the scientific breakthrough you know proven uh, that the technology could be there to restore sight in adult injured patients uh, using a tissue that surrounds the baby, but not the baby, him or herself. To me, more exciting than scientific advancement is the validation, as a Christian and a scientist, is the validation that God does want science and faith 
to work together. That it proves that we, as long as we don't give up, we persist. There is a way to both advance the science, but at the same time preserve life and maintain our Christian principles. And so, I think your first patient was a little girl, and you were able to use uh, that procedure and restore her eyesight. Something about her mother putting some acid into her eyes. Can you tell us that story? Yes. Uh, the film Sight, to be released on October 27th, Friday, by Universal Studios, described two kinds of journeys from darkness to sight. One kind of journey is my uh, patients. We have a charity foundation to help blind, orphaned children from around the world. Their remarkable journey for their physical side from darkness to sight. And Kajol, the Indian girl that whose stepmother poured acid into her, her eyes when she was four and a half years old only, to in the, the stepmother was trying to make Kajol. Kajo was already an orphan, and she was trying to make Kajo a blind, orphaned singer child who would get more money from tourists. Wow. So Kajo was intentionally and maliciously blinded. Then she was found to have no talent of singing. That's why she was abandoned in a train station near Calcutta, India. That's how our foundation, Charity Foundation, found her, brought her here. At our foundation, our focus was to help blind orphan children from around the world. With all the doctors, we donate our services. And the side movie, side it's also another uh, journey from darkness to side. This is this time the spiritual side. And that's not the patients, but the eye doctor who restored the physical side to these patients. How his own journey spiritually from darkness to side, from an atheist to eventually find the Savior, Jesus Christ, our Savior. How is that little girl today? What is she doing? And it, her eyesight is fully restored? I probably would not want to give up the uh, storyline of the movie so that people will go to see movie October 27th. But I would say, go to see the film. See what happened to Kajal. And it was a truly a remarkable, not her own journey, but also uh, uh, another blind orphan uh, child uh, journey of Maria as well. In the book, from Darkness Society, I talk about many other journeys of our foundation patients. Now, I want to get back to your backstory and, and your eventual acceptance of Jesus. You were born into some harsh times there in China with the Cultural Revolution in full swing. That was from 1966 to 1976. And the kids your age, the boys your age especially, were being sent to the Chinese youth labor camps, right? Where they just had no, it was a very bleak future, if a future at all. Can you tell us about those times? Yes, it was an absolutely crazy time. From 1966 to 1976, the government shut down all universities and colleges of entire China for 10 years and forcefully deported to uh, some of the poorest part of the country uh, and condemn each one of us a life sentence of life sentence of hard labor and poverty. So during that period of time, uh, what they call cultural revolution, 20 million youth were deported with wow. no hope of returning and millions died. So I caught that in an early 1970s, 1974, I was 14. I finished my 
ninth grade, um, and I was looking forward to attending tenth grade and beyond when the deportation order came down to me as well, the same as uh, the came down to 20 million others. So I was not allowed to go to school anymore, and I was going to be sent away to labor camp for life. Wow. For life. And it turns out one of the only ways to escape uh, being sent away to labor camp is to play a music instrument, uh, Chinese violin, Erhu, E-R-H-U, and also to learn dance. Because if I could play an instrument or can dance, I can get into uh, government song and dance propaganda troupe. If I could do that, I may be able to avoid being sent away to labor camps. And you did both. You did both. Yes, I did a dance learning, and this and also the instrument, music instrument learning. It's interesting, Patrick. These days here in America, sometimes friends come and talk to me and say, "Oh, Ming, so nice. You have these hobbies. You can play an instrument. You can dance. It must be nice to have these hobbies." You know what I say? I didn't learn these as hobbies. Uh, you know, as a teenager, I learned it to survive. Yeah, survival for sure. And you were, I think it was only 1%, the government said only 1% is allowed to go to Chinese college. You were in ninth grade and you had to do something to where you had to step up your game and prove yourself worthy even amongst the seniors or the 12th graders of that same year. Is that right? Yes, that was 1976 when the Cultural Revolution ended. Uh, you know, after 10 years, universities and college being shut down from 1966 to 76. So in 1976, uh, the Cultural Revolution ended. All the uh, universities got reopened. And my parents said, you need to jump three years, three years overnight from 9th to 12th wow. and compete against other 12th graders for that 1% chance of getting to college that year. And I said, why can't I wait for three years, you know, go to ninth and 11th, 12th and participate and for college entrance exam three years from then? Well, my parents said, no, you cannot wait. You got to jump right now. You participate exam, jump to 12th grade without ever studying 10th, 11th, 12th tomorrow because government could change their mind again. You see, for people who did not have freedom, when freedom came, even briefly, they appreciate so much they want to to take full advantage of it because they knew it may not come again. And it worked out for their son. And then you ultimately made your way to Boston and then entered into Harvard and eventually MIT. How did that all come about? Yeah. So I I, I fought very hard and, uh, you know, trying to get into college as a ninth grader. And uh, uh, my parents helped me tremendously. So eventually I did get into college, get into a very good university in China called Universities in Science and Technology, like a MIT of China in 1978. Then 1982, I got a chance, um, I, visit, I, I met a visiting American professor who landed me $50. So 1982, uh, with that $50, with a Chinese English dictionary, with uh, very limited English, knowing no one in this country. Um, I came to this country, um, even though I was uh, nearly penniless, but I was happy. Why? Because I had the freedom. Yeah. So then I studied very hard, um, and I wanted to go to medical school. I always wanted to go to medical school in China, but in China I had no, I, no opportunity as such. So in America, in a free nation, I felt I had the opportunity now. 
So I made an appointment with the admission director, Johns Hopkins uh, Medical School. I said, I want to apply for med school. Here's my resume. He didn't look at my resume. He looked at me. He said, where are you from? I said, China. He said, look, do you know how hard it is to get into medical school, even for American students? You are from China. Don't waste your time. Hmm. So I was discriminated against because I'm a Chinese, because he didn't look at my resume and had no idea what I did. So I became very angry. I could have given up, but I thought, you know, I fought once after Cultural Revolution, I can fight again. Yeah. But this time, not just for myself, but also for people, other people who have been discriminated against as well. So I fought very hard. I need $1,500 in two months, and I didn't have the money. So I got four jobs, working Burger King restaurant, Best Western Hotel and all that. So eventually I did well. Um, so I got into uh, the medical college admission test. I got into Harvard Medical School, which is number one medical school, and Johns Hopkins, which is number two medical school. So one day, as I talk about in my autobiography from Darkness to Sight, based on which the film is made, I was looking at both admission uh, letters from both schools, Harvard and Johns Hopkins, when the, te the telephone rang. And guess who was on the other side? The same guy, Dr. No. Anderson from Johns Hopkins, the mission director. He said, is this Ming Wang? I said, yes. He said, you score very well in this uh, medical college admission test. You actually were number one in the United States that, that your score that year. And that we admitted to Hopkins, are you coming? He had no idea I was the same Chinese student sat in front of him three months prior. He so readily discriminated against simply because the color of my skin. I should have told him I was the same guy, but I didn't. My parents always told me that respect your teachers, respect your teachers. So partly because of him, I didn't go to Hopkins. I went to Harvard Med School and MIT, got a joint medical degree from Harvard and MIT. So I never had a chance to tell Professor Anderson that he was wrong. So I decided to write all that into my book, From Darkness to Sight, and I decided to write him in using his true name. So I called up Johns Hopkins, and guess what? He died already because that was many years later. So regrettably, Dr. Anderson looks like he would never have the chance to learn a lesson that racial discrimination is wrong. So the main thing is what I've learned to fight racial discrimination is don't believe it. Work even harder and make something of oneself and years later come back to tell the person, hey, you're wrong. Dr. Wang, are you still practicing medicine today? Yes, I practice medicine at One Vision Institute in Nashville, Tennessee, oh. um, and um, uh, we also that I do laser vision correction, meaning laser vision correction for nearsightedness, farsightedness, and astigmatism, and the cataract, and all using laser. And um, uh, now I have a, a technology to fix uh, older eyes, the, 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 the presbyopia. You know, as you get older, your vision up close getting worse. We used to have no technology to treat that. So I used to joke with my patients. I said, you, you're getting older, your arm's getting shorter. That's all. <laughs> because we couldn't fix the eye. It's called short arm syndrome. But now we have a good technology now. If you have short arm syndrome, come to me. I just pull your arm towards me and just lengthen a little bit. That, that fixed the problem. No, just kidding. Actually, we fixed the eye itself now. And so we can treat pretty much from age 18 and all the way to age 107. Um, and the, the, those surgeries could be can be performed either with laser or blade. But 
believe it or not, not all surgeries are performed with laser today. For example, cataract surgery, only 5% of cataract surgeries in America today are performed with laser. 95% still performed with blade. Then you say, how come? Isn't laser better, more accurate, safer, less painful, less scarring? And it's true. It has all the advantage. Why only 5% of carousel perform with laser, 95% still with a blade? That's because the doctors tends to be more comfortable with whatever they are trained, which is a blade. And as I said earlier, that medicine today is not just medicine, but it's a medicine and technology, the marriage of the two. And I've been fortunate. Uh, I have dual training, a doctorate degree in medicine and a doctorate degree in laser physics. So I adapt this technology quickly. So at One Vision, 100%, instead of 5%, 100% of our carousel surgery patients have their carousel surgery performed with laser. We're number one in, in, the, in the United States. We're leading the nation. Now, the movie called Sight will be in the theaters across the country just the one night on October 27th. Where will you be on opening night? Oh, I don't know. Uh, right now, they're only going to release probably just one night for sure. But if everybody goes to see the film October 27th, Friday, the opening night in theaters across the United States, I may be at the opening ceremony somewhere, maybe Los Angeles, Hollywood. I don't know. But the point is, that if everybody knows that this, this film about freedom, about faith, and it's also about common ground that doesn't matter your Asians or Latinos, African-Americans or white, that we all should try to focus on what we have in common and that we all Americans, we love this country, we want to preserve our freedom, preserve our faith. Then we go to see the film and make a successful opening night for side October 27th, Friday night. And then the studio, Universal Studios, may release or continue to show the film beyond one week. Now, in Sparks, Nevada, it's coming up very soon, though. You're going to have a pre-showing at the Summit Church. That's going to be July 10th. And you're going to be there, right, to address the audience and maybe take questions? Yes. Before October 27th, I'm very fortunate I got the permission from the distributor that I... I'm allowed to bring, physically bring the film. I cannot show the film online or send the film anyone, but I can physically bring the film anywhere I want in the United States to show to my fellow Christian brothers and sisters, especially this film. And uh, without charge, it's free showing before public release, October 27th. So yes, July 10th, I will be there um, at the church, uh, show the film free. And I want to conduct a, what I call site movie Bible study, because I also published here, I'm holding on the book site, a movie Bible study is based on the theme message on the film site and the, the study, the associated scripture was God's instruction to us. You know, it's a film called Sight, so it's about seeing beyond. And the movie is about five seeing beyonds. Seeing beyond our pain, such as Kajal's story, which is mentioned briefly. Seeing beyond our circumstance. Seeing beyond ourselves. That's the fundamental distinction between a believer and non-believer in Christ, because a believer in Christ believe there's more to this life than what we see and seeing beyond our polarization and, and seeing beyond our own culture because if we could see beyond our own culture we will not discriminate other race or culture 
Well, our time is limited, but I do want to hear how you became a Christian. It was a professor at Harvard, right? And you had, let me let me back up and say, I think I read 95% of the 1.4 billion citizens of China just simply believe in evolution. 95%. And you yes. couldn't believe that once you started researching and learning about the human eye. Tell us that story. Yes. Yes, there's another movie called God's Not Dead. In that movie, there's a Chinese student who went from atheist to a believer in that movie, God's Not Dead. And that Chinese student is inspired by my own life story. Mm. So I basically, I was in the movie once before. Yeah. Now it's the second movie, Sai, more about just my journey alone. Yes, I came to this country as many other Chinese students that as an atheist, because 95% of Chinese citizens even today are atheists. So I was an atheist and I believe science will solve all the problems. But because I got my doctorate degree in laser physics, and then I was going to get my second doctorate degree this time in medicine. So I was really want to become a laser eye surgeon. So I was studying the eye. Then I found out something. I found out the eye is so complicated that it's impossible following the atheist worldview that these cells that in the brain and the eye just all randomly assemble itself into vision, uh, the, the, the cells for vision, because not any, any of those cells is misaligned, uh, that you will not be able to see, okay? So, in fact, Darwin, in his uh, work about evolution, at the end of the book, in, by Darwin himself, Charles Darwin said that my only weakness in my theory is about the eye. The eye is so complicated that uh, I feel that's my weakest part of my evolutionary theory because based on evolution, it's just not possible that can that the random collision, random events can form such a complicated structure as the eye. So hundred years later, I experienced the same problem. So I kept on asking a professor, and one day the professor took me out to lunch, and he said, "Hey, man, what's across the street?" I said, "A car." He said, "What's the difference between a car and a human eye?" I said, "Eye is a lot more complicated." He said, "Look." Can you imagine how random piece of metal assemble itself into a car? I said, no way. Then he leaned over. He said, how about human eye? From that moment, that was my aha moment. That's from that moment that I realized that, you know, he opened a window in my life, made me realize that life is not just about science. It's about science and faith. You know, it's like a coin. Science, science and faith is on the either side of that life coin, so to speak. Science is about what things are. Faith is about why things are. Science gives us the tools. As a doctor, I realized that, you know, I got to study, I got to master the technology. But faith in Jesus Christ, what I realized in my life is give me a sense of purpose. What I'm going to use the um. The, the, the science tools for, you know, and I have, you know, cultural evolution to America, I struggle so hard, suffer a lot. And finally, I got my hard earned medical skill, two doctor degrees, Wayne Lason, Wayne Medicine from Harvard and MIT. So I prayed and I asked God, I said, what should I use my hard earned medical skill for? And it was Christ, Jesus Christ told me to help people, to help those who need the most help. And I asked Christ, who needs the most help? He said, blind, which they need help. Orphan, they need more help. And children, they need the most help. So that's why I built a foundation focusing on helping blind 
orphaned children from around the world. And that's what my book, From Darkness to Sight, which it turned into a movie now, Sight is about. It's about those blind orphaned children, their remarkable journey, physically from darkness to sight. And in the process, they have brought the surgeon who fixed their eyes out of his own spiritual from darkness to sight in going from atheist to a believer. Praise God. So the big event, Dr. Wang, is happening across the country Friday, October 27th, but in Sparks, the big day much sooner, July 10th. And you'll have an opportunity to speak. You said it's a free event, and yes. that's an early viewing of the movie, your movie about your life called Sight. Yes. And I'll be on hand showing the movie and uh, do, do a brief uh, side movie Bible study. But also, since the movie described this new technology, this um, amniotic membrane contact lens, which has been used now worldwide, I'll be happy to answer questions from folks who comes to the Sparks July 10th evening side viewing. Um, and uh, they may have questions about their kids' eyes or their parents or brothers. And I'll be happy to conduct a free eye consultation about this new technology, if it's right for them as well. You're going to be a very busy man, I can tell you that already. <laughs> well, Dr. Ming Wang, with the movie Sight, produced from your autobiography, coming to theaters across the country October 27th, and locally with a pre-screening July 10th at the Summit Church in Sparks. Thanks for being with us today on His People. Thank you, Patrick. It's an honor to be with you. Thank you. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, ophthalmologist Dr. Ming Wang. Go to drmingwang.com. That's D-R-M-I-N-G-W-A-N-G.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again on Monday at this same time for another edition of His People.